Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios in downtown Milwaukee, it's Wisconsin's Midday News, making stories come to life. Now, here are your hosts, Greg Matzik and Jessica Ty. All right, hope the weekend was great. Greg and Jessica with you here on a Monday edition of Wisconsin's Midday News. This is the time of year, Jessica, now when we're leaving the house and we've got all our lockers there and like the coats are hanging in it. Like every coat in the Matzik household is hanging in our three locker space. You actually have, I, I, why do I feel like you actually have a legit locker? Are you just talking about that spot where you can hang the coats or yeah. is it really a locker? It, it's just, it's that spot, right? And there's two coat hooks in yeah, each locker, yeah. I right? I thought being the sports guy, you might really have lockers there. Like it, an might actual, be, it might be a theme. <laughs> actual locker room at the house. No, but every coat we own is like stuffed in there because we'll look at the weather week. You're going to need every Every coat you own, it would appear. Yes. Actually, I decided not to bring a coat today. I was just going to do the quick little run into the building. Um, but yeah, we're talking about warmth, and we're talking about snow and storms. It's going to be wild, as we, we mentioned. Worth and wind chills. Uh, that's what we're getting here to uh, today. We'll talk to Brendan Johnson, TMJ4, meteorologist, coming up at about 1123. Some stuff we're following here this morning. And now it's time for three big Sings on Wisconsin's Midday News. So not a big surprise over the weekend, former President Donald Trump winning South Carolina's Republican presidential primary, Jessica, defeating rival Nikki Haley in her own home state. That's right. We expected this would happen, but uh, here are the numbers. Nearly 60% of the state cast their votes for Trump. That's compared to 40% for Haley. Trump has swept all 2024 GOP nominating contests so far with Michigan conducting theirs on Tuesday. Americans for Prosperity Action, that's the network backed by billionaire Charles Koch, is pausing its financial support of Haley's campaign. And that's something as we continue to move forward and get closer to the election, you wonder how long are people going to hang on for Nikki Haley. But she keeps saying, I'm staying in, I'm staying in. In fact, she has vowed to stay in the race until Super Tuesday, which is coming up here. It's March 5th saying she does not believe Trump can defeat President Joe Biden come November. Holding strong, but uh, the numbers are certainly working against her after South Carolina. Michigan primary tomorrow, by the way. Number two. Well, there's still about a month left in winter, if you're if you're talking about the meteorological, the, the specific time frame, right? But it won't feel like it for much of the nation. We've got 60 today, perhaps 70 tomorrow away from the lake. Some crazy warm temperatures for February in Wisconsin. From Dallas to Minneapolis, more than 200 daily temperature records could be tied or broken over the next 48 hours, Greg. And what's really scary is in Mexico, they're calling for an extreme kind of measure here. So the temps, the the several years of lack of precipitation, they're thinking they could have a day zero in Mexico City, and that's when the taps run dry. It's just, we're out. We're out of water. No using water today. So Mexican authorities are expected to introduce significant restrictions on the water pump from reservoirs ahead of the summer months, right? The warm weather season, truly warm weather season, is to come here in Mexico. So uh, a, a dire situation, but you're right. From Dallas to Minneapolis, throughout the Midwest and East, much warmer than average temperatures here, uh, especially this week. And number three, this one really interesting. Women, listen to this. In certain states, you can now get a mammogram at Walmart. This is a rapidly expanding pilot program. It was launched in early January at a Walmart supercenter in Delaware. But think about this. You know, usually a lot of people, too, October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, you make those appointments for your mammogram. You go to the hospital. You go to the health clinic. But how easy would it be if you could also just drive up to Walmart. Seems like it could be quicker, too. Yeah, so Walmart is partnered with this Radnet Inc. company, and they've got a bunch of freestanding, owned and operated outpatient services and imaging centers across the country, mainly in seven states. Most of their facilities are standalone, right? You pull up to the door, you walk in, you do your thing. Well, now they're getting inside of Walmarts, and the idea is that they could take it more nationwide by doing this, that you wouldn't have to have your own brick-and-mortar clinic canvassing the country. So keep your footprint but use Walmart as your vehicle to expand. And as you're doing your shopping before or after, make your appointment at Walmart for a mammogram. Yeah, it makes you wonder if it's uh, Walmart tomorrow, if it's Target, you know, uh, in another year, and, and what's after that. Sure. But making it easier, that's certainly a good thing. Well, coming up next, and this is happening right now here. We're following it on WTMJ, Supreme Court hearing on social media and uh, all sorts of backlash here and interesting commentary back and forth. We'll get into it after this. It's 11.13 on WTMJ. 
Greg Nancy, Jessica Time with you. It's Wisconsin's Midday News on a Monday. Well, happening right now... I think, Your Honor, you still would have to look at the objective activity being regulated, namely censoring and deplatforming, and ask whether that expresses a message. And because they host so much content, an objective observer is not going to readily attribute any particular piece of content that appears on their site to some... Decision to either refrain from or to censor or deplatform. Do you think and that so as to this? Uh, so it's considered one of the most important First Amendment cases of the Internet era. The Supreme Court this is happening right now, hearing arguments today on laws passed by GOP-led states, talking about Texas and Florida, namely here, Jessica, that were aimed at limiting online censorship. So they're trying to argue back and forth. Are, are there First Amendment issues here? You know, what what's the... The purpose of censoring material, right? Think about Donald Trump being kicked off of Twitter or X at the time after the January 6th insurrection, right? This is the back and forth they're having right now with the Supreme Court. As supporters of state laws, they basically say that social media should allow all speech without judging the message. But opponents say platforms have the right to decide what content they can display. So I'm curious, too, let us know what you think about this. Um, but this is a big Supreme Court showdown that's happening today. It's happening right now, and ABC national correspondent Stephen Portnoy is covering it. The case involves state laws passed in the wake of the social media company's decision to ban Donald Trump after January 6th. The question for the court, does the First Amendment prohibit states from having power over the online firm's policies? Or do the nation's free speech traditions require that the companies permit political views to be shared without censorship? All right, so here's the back and forth. States are arguing that social media companies treat them like any business, right? Any business and be restricted from removing posts or banning users from their platforms. Social media companies, they fight back and say, well, that infringes on their editorial discretion, arguing they should be treated more like a news outlet, which I guess in a sense is still a business but they want to be uncensored. Well, think about this. I mean, social media platforms, whether you're talking about X, you're talking about Facebook or even Instagram in a way, they're really like the new town square. It's like, I, I kind of think of it like the Wisconsin bubbler. <laughs> you know, you meet up at the bubbler, you say, hey, how was your weekend? What's going on? What's on your mind, right? We're all talking about what's happening on social media. Free speech is critical, so do we need new laws for social media? That's the big question. Here's ABC's Terry Moran also covering. Texas passed a law that makes it illegal for social media companies to take down political content based on its, quote, viewpoint. Florida passed a similar law that also uh, prohibited tech companies from banning candidates on the ballot in that state from their social media sites. Republicans say these social media companies are engaged in censorship straight up and they want it to stop. But the companies say that under the First Amendment, they have the right to set their own content standards just like any other publisher. Yeah, so this is all happening right now. And, of course, it's become kind of a political thing. Of but, course. But remember three weeks ago? So this is Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg. He started Facebook back in the day apologizing to families who accused Meta of not doing enough to stop harm to children. There's families of victims here today. Have you apologized to the victims? Would you like to do so now? Well, they're here. You're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. And there's Mark Zuckerberg turning his back uh, to Congress and, and apologizing to family members who were seated behind him, holding up pictures of their sons and daughters who have been killed, and they're blaming social media for it. I mean, there's no doubt you can go onto social media and see things where, you know, your eyebrow gets raised and you say, ah, that probably shouldn't be on there. But it's a fine line between, okay, what do you censor and what don't you? Or do you censor at all? Bottom line is the court's decision, it will almost certainly be its most important statement on the scope of the First Amendment in the Internet era. And that decision is expected to come in June. I, I don't imagine any sweeping changes here, though. I, in, terms of, in terms of the user experience on X or Facebook or Instagram or wherever you choose to post uh, or view online material, I, do you expect any major changes? I can't envision that as we just talk about it back and forth here. Well, the thing is, I, I feel like I'm not putting anything on there that needs to be censored. Sure. But I have seen people be censored on Facebook and for things that you would never guess or, or they thought, oh, my gosh, my post went down and I'm not really quite sure why. So it's interesting to see what a Facebook would decide, hey, we can't keep that up <laughs> and other things that 
what? Who, who has the time and who has the staff to figure out that, you know, Johnny down the block shouldn't have up this little thing. He got mad about something and and put a little text out there and Facebook thought it was too intense. Right. Um, when maybe it wasn't. Yeah. Happening right now. It's happening right now. They are hearing going back and forth. It's kind of a wild scene going back and forth. Social media companies being absolutely grilled here and taken to task. 1121 on WTMJ. The roller coaster week of weather is just underway. TMJ Force Brendan Johnson joins us. He'll walk through the next five days after this. It conflicts with Section 230. So. Greg and Jessica with you until 1 o'clock this afternoon. we got Brewers baseball on the air today. Coverage getting underway at 2 o'clock. And we have Arizona weather rolling into Wisconsin tomorrow. <laughs> TMJ 4's Brendan Johnson. I, I'm holding your forecast from this morning, Brendan, and it's ripe with warm temperatures and wind chills all here. Like <laughs> I Just get every coat you own and stuff it near your locker or wherever you got it at home and get ready for a mm-hmm. wild week, huh? Yeah, yeah, Greg. I mean, we're going to go through about two, maybe three seasons in the span of about twenty-four hours. But you know, Ooh. welcome to Wisconsin, right? Yeah, I, and this it, this is kind of wild. It's continued to trend here. Uh, so, what are we going to see here the next couple of days? Are, are these pristine conditions, or is it going to be kind of breezy, windy? What are we feeling? Yeah, so today uh, we're really dealing with this lake breeze, and it is keeping our lakefront a little bit cooler at this hour. still got temperatures that are in the 40s in Milwaukee, but we've at least climbed to about 50 in Kenosha. And inland today we could reach that 60-degree mark, maybe even some low 60s. So today really nice. First part of tomorrow also looking really good, too. I mean, we'll zoom right into the 60s all across southeastern Wisconsin. And then some places, if we get enough sunshine, could punch up to almost 70 degrees, uh, nearly unheard of, at the end of february but we've got a big cold front that comes in along with a low pressure system so there's a narrow window tomorrow evening probably between about 6 and 10 p.m where we could fire up a few scattered showers and even a few thunderstorms Uh, we are continuing to monitor a severe threat with that hail high wind if we're able to get enough instability again it's going to be a very narrow window and it's going to be closer to the state line that we'd have to worry about that severe threat. Once that's out of here, northwest winds come in, and any rain that was out there switches over to a wintry mix or snow. So we might have some light snow on early Sunday. Those temperatures are going to crash right into the 20s. So we much colder, blustery on Wednesday. Could have some gusts upwards to 30 miles per hour. We'll barely make it to freezing in the afternoon, and we'll have wind chills, like I said in the forecast, in you know the teens and 20s. So a big change in just 24 hours. So, Brendan, I think the one thing people heard from that, well, a couple things, the snow, number one, but also a possibility for 70 degrees in inland spots. Mm-hmm. Have we seen that before? I mean, we're still talking about late February here. How far do the records go back? Yeah, I mean, you know, records in Milwaukee, they switch around a lot, but they go back to the late 1800s. There has only been one time in the month of February where Milwaukee has actually reached uh, 70 or greater. Um, It's actually one of our record high temperatures uh, during the month, but we just don't hit that in Milwaukee. And I don't think we will tomorrow in the city because of the effect of the lake. But a little bit farther inland, let's say west of the Kettle Moraine, even towards Madison, the state line, uh, certainly a chance there where we could get off close if not surpass it again given enough sunshine if i get the clouds in here a little too early tomorrow we might not make it but uh we've at least got that chance well do your best to hit the pause button on that brenda we want a record (laughs) yeah hey yeah and you know what i will say after all this is done late in the week and next weekend we warm right back into the 50s we could punch up to 60 degrees by next sunday wow good stuff good Good stuff tmj4 is brendan johnson checking again soon brendan thank you Yep, take care, guys. It's 1128 on WTMJ. The news is next. You might be able to get a deal on a little red, red wine tonight. Five nights of bottles and bites. Taste and toast starts today in downtown Milwaukee. You get a week of happy hours, Greg. How about that? Everybody loves a good happy hour. Now you get five straight days of it. (laughs) Everyone loves a good deal. Uh, Sign me up. No, I like this kind of stuff. It's good. We're talking about specially priced small plates, appetizers, and drinks at 20 different downtown restaurants and bars. The deals start, we said a happy hour, so 4 p.m. goes 4 p.m. until 7. This is through Friday. And we're talking about, here's just some of the participating locations. you got AJ Bombers. I love, do they still do it where they've got the... 
you know, the, the peanuts that go like across the ceiling and then come down. Yeah, they're on like a sky track. I love that. And then they crash into a wall and they drop through like a funnel and they get spit <laughs> out right at your table. It's great. Oh, it's just fun. As long as you don't have a peanut allergy, it, right? It's yeah. not where you want to go. No. Uh, Blue Bat Kitchen, in case you're looking for a little Mexican. Maybe you're feeling some Mexican tonight or maybe tomorrow for Taco Tuesday. They also have the bar at St. Kate. Which is awesome. I know that's so. That's that's the good thing about these these weeks when whether it's you know Waukesha promoting their thing or this week downtown Milwaukee doing theirs, it gives you a chance to try out different spots. Whether it's casual Mexican or whether it's a little you know more luxurious at the bar at St. Kate's. I know that's a great spot. We like to do that before the rep. Just go over there, have a cocktail before the rep, and enjoy yourself. Yeah. So that's a really interesting inclusion to me. That's the one that really jumped off the page because. The idea is to get people into downtown, try it out, especially during the week when restaurants aren't quite as packed as they are on weekends. Sure. So AJ Bombers, Blue Bat, part of the same ownership group, uh, and great places to eat. The St. Kate is so interesting because it's a gorgeous hotel, but is it top of mind for you when it comes to a good night out and a good meal? Right? Is, is, are you thinking St. Kate? Well, maybe not. Maybe you're thinking an incredible place to stay, incredible place to grab a drink. But they have a phenomenal restaurant at the St. Kate. So I think that's a really interesting inclusion in Milwaukee Taste and Toast. You don't often see hotel restaurants included in this group. Well, and the other thing, too, St. Kate's has a couple. They've got Proof, which is the pizza spot. Oh, yeah. And they've got uh, the Dark Room as well. I actually haven't hit that one up. It's on my list. But I think that's this is a great opportunity to try something new, right? Especially if you're getting a deal. <laughs> you kind of feel better about sure. it. So I feel like this is a great opportunity to try something new. Or maybe you have a favorite, the Nick. I like to walk down to the Nick one on a, on a nice day. So uh, go ahead, check it out, try it out. It's Taste and Toast, happy hour event. It starts today in downtown Milwaukee and runs through Friday. Get yourself a great deal. Also, a bonus, Interstate Parking is offering 20% off parking for Taste and Toast. So it's always nice when you can get it parking for a little bit cheaper, yeah, right, in the downtown I, area? You know, and I think the timing is also interesting. You know, we're in a stretch of, of different weather than we're used to having in February, no doubt. So maybe there is a little more urge to get out of the house and go do a little something after hibernating for the last two months. You know, it's similar to me to Milwaukee Dining Week, where yes, great yes. restaurants across downtown Milwaukee will have just sort of a set menu and a set price for that menu. But it may be a three-course sort of deal where you have an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert, and then whatever kind of cocktails, drinks you want to add to that, go for it. That downtown dining week, it was one of my favorites when I first moved back into town years ago. A couple of my girlfriends and I, I was working the early, early morning hours, so I'd be home by lunch, and, and we'd go there. I mean, I think every we'd have like three days plotted out as to what we were doing. One of them was Carson's. I remember going to Carson's sure. when it was pretty new. And uh, that was a great deal and a lot of food. A lot of food you got. By the way, in case you heard, oh, she said uh, interstate parking is offering a little percentage off. You might want to know about that. You can go online for the promo codes in order to get that cheaper rate. It's tastetoastmke.com. Get out and enjoy it, especially the next couple of days, absolutely, with the weather being advantageous for getting out of the house. 1141 on WTMJ. Hey, there is a drug that is popping up in illicit drugs, and it has doctors scratching their heads because Narcan doesn't help. Dr. Ben Weston from the Medical College of Wisconsin joins us coming up on the other side to explain the details behind xylazine. You've heard about it. How nasty is this stuff? More with him after this. So there's a substance that keeps popping up with greater frequency in illicit drug mixtures. It's called xylazine. And xylazine is... Coming from a different line of work, this is a veterinary medicine that is making its way into illicit drugs, and it is allowing drug traffickers to back off on the amount of fentanyl and heroin they're using in a mixture. In a sense, xylazine is cheap. It's cheap, and it can be mixed with other drugs to create a toxic cocktail, and it keeps popping up in overdose deaths. This has kind of come from out of left field, Jessica. So to have a better understanding, we wanted to welcome in Dr. Ben Weston, Associate Professor from the Medical College of Wisconsin. Dr. Weston, thanks for joining us today. Nice to talk to you, Greg. So what do you do here? Because uh, this is not a common substance for humans to digest. It's being mixed into these toxic cocktails. How do you slow down xylazine? And, and what is it really? Well, unfortunately, it's becoming more and more common. So ju just like you were talking about, this is a tranquilizer, uh, but it's being added often to opioids along with fentanyl, which we've seen in the vast majority of opioids, now nearly 100%. But 
we're seeing increasingly xylosine added on. And as you mentioned, it's cheap. Uh, it also prolongs the effect of that overdose. Now, the challenge with xylosine, one of the challenges, is that since it's not an opioid, it doesn't respond to naloxone, that nasal spray or Narcan. And so it has all the negative effects. It decreases people's ability to breathe. It can cause death, but it doesn't respond to Narcan. And we're seeing it more and more in our drug supply. Where are people getting this? Because it's not approved for human use, correct? Right. And so, so you know, it's being procured illicitly. But for the people who are taking it and the people who are overdosing on it, they usually have no idea that this is in their drugs. They often have no idea that fentanyl is in their drugs either, for that matter. Uh, but it speaks to how adulterated the drug supply has become that people might think they're taking a pill to help study overnight. They might think they're taking methamphetamine or heroin or, or oxycodone or whatever it is. But you have no idea what you're really taking if you get it illicitly and not through a prescription. So how quickly have we seen this drug grow in usage here in Wisconsin and more specifically Milwaukee County? Yeah, we just saw a case or two back in 2019. But since then, we've seen a hundredfold increase in five years. It's now 27 percent, more than one in four overdose deaths from uh, opioids in Milwaukee County contain xylazine. This has certainly gained traction, too, on the West Coast and Arizona, New Mexico, and so on, and, and it's working its way to the Midwest, according to things that I've read here, Dr. Weston. So what can you do, right? Narcan doesn't work. Are there advances in medical technology that can combat, or is that all being worked on? Well, so the stuff that happens once you call 911 and the, the paramedics arrive to give people rescue breaths and do those sort of things, that works. The problem is that... Even the fastest 911 systems in our country can't come fast enough when somebody's not breathing to stop them from going into cardiac arrest. And so there are some things we're starting to see. So xylosine test strips, just like we have fentanyl test strips. Uh, you think of it as like a, a pregnancy test, except even simply you just dip it in the, the solution of the drugs and see if it contains this. And that can warn uh, users that, that this might be in their substance, in their, uh, the, the drugs they're taking. Now, a lot of people might criticize it and say, well, who the heck is going to use that? It turns out a lot of people with fentanyl test strips, studies show that four out of five people who are given fentanyl test strips actually use them. And half the people will change their behavior based on a positive test. They might use less of the drug, not use it, use it somebody else. Um, so these sort of testing strips are harm reduction supplies. They save lives in the short term. Uh, and that's one of the key strategies here. Dr. Weston, as long as we have you on, we also wanted to ask you about the news of Wendy Williams, the former broadcaster who was just diagnosed or actually last year diagnosed, but her family just announced that she has frontotemporal dementia, also known as FTD or or Pick's disease. Greg and I were talking about this a lot because my stepdad, unfortunately, has it. But I was saying a lot of the medical community does not know about this. Um, of course, with Bruce Willis being diagnosed, that has put more exposure. And now Wendy Williams as well. But at the county level, how familiar are you guys with FTD? Yeah, and I'm sorry to hear about your your stepdad. But certainly these, these celebrity cases have brought it uh, into focus. Now, our, our medical establishment is familiar and have been familiar with this for a long time. Uh, but it certainly is a challenging disease. Really, what it's, it's a complicated word, but what it really means is just damage to those brain cells in a specific frontal and the temporal parts of the brain. And what we see from this are, are really nonspecific sort of conditions, which makes it so hard to diagnose. So just it can be unusual behaviors. It can be increased emotionality, trouble communicating, um, things like this, which are really hard to diagnose. It can seem like depression or bipolar disorder and oftentimes gets misdiagnosed as those sort of things. Dr. Ben Weston, associate professor from the Medical College of Wisconsin. Always appreciate your time and perspective, Dr. Weston. Thank you so much. Thank you. You both take care. You do the same. Very interesting stuff here. Yeah, xylazine. Please, please pay attention to that. That is that's scary stuff. How How an animal tranquilizer ends up in a street drug is... Unbelievable. Well, that's one of those things that you're going to be hearing about this more and more, especially as uh, the government, you know, tries to do something more about this to stop it from getting in the hands of people and, and stop people from dying. Trank, as it's also known. 1152 on WTMJ. 
So I, I consider myself a, a charitable person. I do a lot of work with the MAC Fund, the Vince Lombardi Cancer Foundation, emceeing events, participating, fundraising, and, and I love it. It's rewarding. You meet so many great people. Giving back to the community, you betcha. Yes, and, and I'm sure you've emceed and been a part of a lot of events for different charities over time, donated to help keep these charities moving forward to uh, against their mission, right? Well, I always say if, if you can't donate money, you can certainly donate your time. And yes, I mean, over the years, Kathy's House was one of them. Versity, the Blood Research Institute. I mean, I could go on and on. Um, Hispanic Young Professionals is another one of Greater Milwaukee. But yeah, it's always it's always good to give back in any way that you can do so. Okay, so there are donations, and then there are donations. It's one of the largest charitable donations to an educational institution in the United States, and most likely the largest to a medical school. Dr. Ruth Gottsman, a longtime professor at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx in New York City, has donated $1 billion to the medical school. It will provide all students going forward with free tuition. The 93-year-old is a widow of a Wall Street financier. Jim Crisula, CBS News. A billion dollars free Ooh. tuition for everyone at this university. Wow. The Albert Einstein College of Medicine. So this is located in the Bronx. Uh, it's not the wealthiest of the boroughs, right? And I think there's some strategic component to the billion-dollar donation. It's one of the largest charitable donations to an educational institution in the history of the United States. And her fortune came from her husband, who was a protege of Warren Buffett, early investor into Berkshire Hathaway. That turned out to be a pretty good decision. (laughs) Um, Staggering size. But the city's poorest borough, the Bronx, has a high rate of premature deaths. They rank as one of the unhealthiest counties in New York. So these are statistics that are common and factual. And over the past generation, a number of billionaires have given hundreds of millions to better-known medical schools and hospitals in Manhattan, the wealthy borough. And here's a billion dollars going to a Bronx higher education medical facility. Unbelievable. Wow. Well, maybe the Muskego guy who's on tonight's Deal or No Deal Island will win something close to that. We're keeping our fingers crossed, right? Tonight it premieres the new Deal or No Deal. You might remember the old one. Well, this time they're actually on an island in Panama. So it's on NBC starting tonight. Dawson Addis, we talked to him eh, exactly one week ago. He was here in the studio and he was telling us all about this. He's just so pumped to be this local guy who's on the game show. He actually, uh, we just texted this morning. He said, tonight's the night we've all been waiting for. I'm getting so many new people reaching out. I'm just loving it. And uh, he's going to be with his friends and family. He's not having a huge party. Sometimes sure. people have big watch parties to watch uh, the show. But he's getting together with some friends and family. And we'll have to check it out tonight, too, to see if he, he gets the big briefcase. Well, and he knows what happened already. He does, he and def- he did have a glimmer in his eye. He was very excited, but I was just like, I don't know, was the glimmer bright enough that he actually took home everything? Was he the big winner? I'm not sure. Well, certainly a follow-up on tomorrow's Wisconsin's Midday News. Headlines are next. It's 11.58. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios in downtown Milwaukee, it's Wisconsin's Midday News, making stories come to life. Now, here are your hosts, Greg Matzik and Jessica Ty. Here we go, hour number two of the program. Greg and Jessica with you on a Monday edition of Wisconsin's Midday News. It's nice to say we have Brewers baseball coming up here in a couple of hours. That sounds pleasing to the ear. It was fun to listen to the game over the weekend on Saturday. Brewers baseball is back. Opening day is like a month away, a month to the day away, as a matter of fact. And we're also talking about temperatures possibly in some spots Hitting 70 this right. week. So it just, it already feels like it's time for baseball. It would absolutely take that for opening day. I've seen plenty of snow flying around on opening day. Oh, man. I have been out there very, very early yes. just to get everybody ready for opening day. And it has been very, very cold. I mean, bundled up sometimes. I mean, you're inside, but still, it's chilly in there. So you got a scarf. And then sometimes it's been beautiful. So you never know when it comes to Milwaukee. Well, it is coming. Handful of stories we're following here this afternoon. Now at noon on Wisconsin's Midday News. So one of the big stories uh, breaking today, Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel will officially step down from her position on March 8th. This is not uncommon, Jessica, for the RNC chairperson to step down once the nomination has been secured. It is. That's the thing. It was an expected move. But if you just hear it, you're like, wait, what? If, if you're not totally in the know about it, it seems like... Why now? But it was an expected move. It clears the way for Trump and his allies to basically seize control of the party and its financials. 
So Donald Trump is suggesting who he'd like to see take over. And Trump is endorsing North Carolina Republican Party Chairman Michael Watley to succeed McDaniel. He's also backed his daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, as co-chair. So ABC chief election and campaign correspondent Robert Costa on what that could mean. He wants people who are even more fervent in support of him running the Republican National Committee. And it will give him a lot of control over party money in the coming months. Ronna McDaniel stepping down as of March 8th. Number two, this one's exciting. Pfizer Forum announcing a major concert. It is Pink bringing her live 2024 tour to Milwaukee. It was interesting. I saw the teaser they had last night, and it it was a big exclamation point. It was Pink. It said, we have a rock star announcement. So I thought... Uh, there, there's no doubt that this is going to be this is going to be pink, and indeed it is. They just announced this within the hour here that pink is coming with the script and kid cut up tickets on sale Friday at 10 a.m. Yeah, she's done it before in Milwaukee, American Family Field. She played about a year ago. Played Pfizer in 2019. 2019, yeah, and I mean, destroyed it. Yeah, they had a phenomenal turnout. I mean, she's a big one. I mean, she can sing and just the theatrics that are involved in her shows. So that's a good get for the city. It's like a Cirque du Soleil show mixed in with a concert. Kind of is, yeah. And finally, Milwaukee County Executive David Crawley today approving a million dollars for affordable emergency housing in Milwaukee. WTMJ's Adam Roberts. Uh, at the press gathering earlier today. What were your big takeaways here, Adam? So, Greg and Jessica, this development is very unique. We talk about affordable housing and developments that happen all the time, but this would be very interesting. So there would be 41 units in this property, 20 of which would be dedicated crisis housing beds, while 21 would be single-family affordable apartments, and they would all be their own individual space. And so a lot of much to do about this project to be in the uptown neighborhood on 50th Street. I talked with a few people, including County Executive Crowley and also the Housing Services Administrator. His name's Jim Matthew. And I was curious to know how we'll determine who qualifies for this sort of thing. At the moment, it's a little open-ended. We certainly assume that a lot of individuals that are going through a homeless crisis will be one of our target populations. Kind of going with whoever's in need the most is what we're going to target, but we're not necessarily limiting it on diagnoses or exact situation. Could be domestic violence. That's certainly an issue that we're targeting as well. So very fluid uh, application process. Uh, They are expecting to break ground on the project coming up in June. How does it work as far as making sure that everybody meshes well? You're talking about these great affordable housing units, but also a crisis bed, which ultimately basically means a spot for a homeless person. So how are they making sure that everybody lives well together? I think one of the things that Crowley mentioned when I asked him that question was the fact that each unit will be its own separate environment. I know when we talk about uh, housing shelters, everyone's kind of in the same space, and that can create security issues, uh, unsafe environment at times. And so I think that's the biggest takeaway. I did ask Crowley how they're going to plan out the security detail, because you figure you need to have staff on site in case something does happen. And like Matthew mentioned, it's kind of a fluid progress. There's still going to be an RFP as far as who's going to be providing many of those services, behavioral health services right here and within this building. And it will be, uh, I would make the assumption and will hope that they will have a communications and a partnership with law enforcement if anything was to happen. So a lot still to be determined, but again, groundbreaking is set for June. All right, WTMJ's Adam Roberts, great work on that story. Joining us next, senior advisor to the MMAC, our good friend Tim Sheehy, in studio after this. Wisconsin's Midday News on WTMJ. Greg Mastic, Jessica Ty with you. Happy to be joined in studio by senior advisor to the MMAC. President Emeritus, I prefer that title, but it's our good friend Tim Sheehy. Welcome to the studio. Good to be here with both of you. Hey, 100 days to the RNC. We got an idea for a security footprint last week. This will be ever-evolving. Lots of work to do, but this potential next-level security, the volunteers that are required, 100 days to the RNC. We in good shape? Yeah, but it's kind of stunning to hear the words that were 100 days from the RNC, so it's coming fast. And as we noted last week, the Secret Service put out their initial security zone. Um, and again, I don't think everybody's to say that's a blanket and you can't get inside that. But they'll start to have layers, like a layer cake, right? How close can I get? Um, where do cars get checked? When do I need credentials? So all that will start to evolve. Um, but I'm glad they put it out because it gives people an insight into 
what that zone is going to look like and whether they're inside the gray line or outside the gray line. You know, the other point you mentioned will start this week with a press conference, I think, Friday um, uh, on a renewed effort to get the 6,000 volunteers. So this is, again, part of helping Milwaukee put on the show. You're not volunteering for the Republican Party. These are people really really wearing green T-shirts, right? Bring the green to Milwaukee um, and help people find their way around here, do those types of things. So that's a big push to be made. Um, and the fundraising is going, again, extremely well. We're responsible. I'm the treasurer of the host committee, so we're responsible raising the money if it were to help Milwaukee put the party or put the put the show on, not again to support a, a party, but really pleased with the leadership of Rice Priebus, the fundraising that we've done, um, and where we are going into a hundred days. Does it make you feel better, like we have more time to prepare if we say that it's four months and eighteen days away? No. <laughs> <laughs> but but nice try. I know. You can actually, there's a countdown online. You can get it down to the, the hour and the minute as well. That was interesting. Yeah, and it's exciting. I mean, you the, the you know, we're booking hotels, have been booked from Kenosha to Madison. Um, you know, and you think of just the transportation challenges, a delegation from Texas could use 10 large charter buses to get to and from where they're going. So there's a myriad of details that have to come. What are you hearing from businesses like the, the, the hotels here or the restaurants about, or even some of the places where maybe, you know, a big group like CNN would come to broadcast? What are you hearing about those groups getting booked and other people making plans to be here? Yeah, it's it's exciting. Like I said, I think we're just finishing up the transportation contract, and I think anybody in southeastern Wisconsin that has a viable number of buses is going to be engaged in that contract. So that's a small example when we talk about a 200 or $250 million economic impact. That's a small example of that happening. So um, lots more of that now will firm up as people, as we get closer to the convention and people actually are locking down dates, they're locking down caterers. And in this case, again, I don't think there's a bus company in southeastern Wisconsin that hasn't obligated its buses for that period of time. Tim, we spoke a little last week about Interpac <clears throat> moving its company, its headquarters to downtown Milwaukee. About 130 employees will make that move ultimately. You know, not the only one, just the latest here uh, yeah. in, in a kind of a growing trend. I, I get it. You want to attra- uh, attract young talent. You want to retain young talent. I also sometimes wonder about the existing employee base and if, if they're for that move from the Burbs to downtown. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's a mixed bag. I mean, I think most recently um, when Northwestern Mutual closed their Franklin campus and they're moving 1,400 people downtown, um, some are thrilled, some aren't happy. But it really comes back to, and as in the case of Enterpac, too, and we worked with them on this process, they want the best location globally for their talent. And so they have to make those decisions kind of long term. Um, and again, you know, this is Milwaukee, so it might be a 20 minute difference, but they're really making that decision in terms of where can we locate that's going to give us the best challenge to attract global talent to this headquarter location. Um, and that's why they made the decision they made. This really isn't about Brookfield being better than Milwaukee. It's what's best for the company. Will their employees be having 8 a.m. meetings? Ooh, that's a really good question and a a good segue. Um, When I started in uh, our business, it was very common to have a 7.30 breakfast meeting, Um, probably more common than not. And that's where you could get business leaders together before they started their day job. And I I just came across something that 43% of meetings now are held between 2 and 6 in the afternoon. Hmm. Oh, wow. Only 3% are held between 8 and 9. And I think it's a growing recognition of, you know, as people worked on a hybrid basis or remotely during COVID, and now people have built up this culture of, you know, that's my time. I'm getting kids ready to school. Somebody's taking them to, or somebody's taking them to school. And so 8 a.m. is becoming kind of the shame on you if you hold a meeting at that time. <laughs> now, radio, you guys go on when you're on, but I, I think maybe I'm a little bit too old school, but I, I have seen the trajectory now move to, no more 7.30 meetings. I haven't, seen, I haven't had one of those in five years. 8 o'clock now is pressing it, but it's more 8.30 or 9. Well, and I think part of that is you have two working members in the household, too, right? I mean, where you have to, Absol- like, I'll take that 8 a.m. meeting, but I'm going to be at home to do it because my kids need to get on the school bus. No, that's a great point. And I think the meeting is just another indication of business evolving in the direction where people want a little better balance, or we have more and more two-income families and both people working, um, and that creates a, a hiccup in the family rhythm.
Well, and it's wild, too, because you hear from so many people saying, I, not everybody does. I know a lot of people like to be in the office and there's a good reason for that. But you hear a lot of people saying, I am just very productive at home. No, that's, that's true. And I think the productivity at home, but it, this even goes further than that, if you will, because I could stay at home theoretically and jump on the eight o'clock meeting and do it remotely. Right. But people are kind of blocking out their calendar at that time. Um, as a part of, I think, again, two households getting everybody ready and figuring out what direction we're going. Yeah, sometimes you get those global companies, too, where you're getting a call from, you know, Europe. Very fair. And, right? <laughs> Just like you, you don't really have a, a no. standard clock in any way. So no. I guess, Greg, we're in the minority. We're in that 3% having a meeting between 8 and 9. I, I pushed it to 8.15. He did. I was, like, I, the 15 I, minutes. I was like, man, you know, that 11 o'clock comes quickly. Can we meet earlier? It definitely does come quick. It's tough to get here by 8, too, with the, with the two girls at home. But nonetheless, uh, baseball is here. We all love seeing that. A month till opening day. Brewers in New York. We all love seeing that, but not seeing everything. I, exactly. I don't know how close you're watching here. The uniform controversy is a growing one. You're not wearing your Brewers jersey today. No, but I, I, I have been, and it's kind of interesting because, you know, as you follow this, and you look at the developments of baseball, you've got the pitch clock, you've got the chonky bases that are coming, and now we have the ghost runner for extra innings. I did not expect to start a season with people worried about what they were wearing below their waist. Right, see-through pants. See-through pants, but that seems to be to the point where it's even reached the union that represents Major League Baseball players, um, and the pants seem to be a little bit too see-through, um, <laughs> and it looks like from some of the play- players, they under they. they Describe this as it looks like I'm wearing diapers. Oh, goodness. Um, so nobody wants to see anybody pitch in diapers. So really fascinating to see where this goes. Um, again, I'm old enough to remember playing in cotton uniforms and then polyester uniforms. I don't think I'd want to be out there today. Well, at least we have funding secured for the new ballpark. For <laughs> That's true. Right? That's true. Thank goodness That's for that. True. Some of your good news of the week. I know it's Monday, but what are we looking for? Yeah, good news of the week. I, I can't help but just recognize the Admirals. We have so many yes. major league sports teams here, the Admirals being one of them, but finishing um, 18 or 19 game win, spree, win streak 19. Was, was 19. 19. So close to 20. Yeah, it was fantastic. So they ride under the under the radar too far. So let's recognize the 19 win uh, streak. Really good stuff. Tim Sheehy is uh, going to join us every Monday here on WTMJ as Wisconsin's Midday News. Always happy to have you here, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. 1224 on WTMJ. Cactus League season underway for the Milwaukee Brewers. They'll be on the field today taking on the Reds. Our coverage gets underway at 2 o'clock. Brewers Extra Innings host Dom Catronio covering the Brewers all spring training long. He is in Arizona. Game number one, Dom. I'm very interested in seeing how things look. I'm also interested in that the Brewers manager, Pat Murphy, was actively cheering for a player on the other team. That's not (laughs) common in baseball. But how can you not be romantic about it, right? It was his son. It was Ty Murphy. It was an awesome moment, uh, to say the least. Look, I mean, as, as you know, Greg, a lot of listeners know, I like the fifth or sixth inning of these early spring training games, it kind of looks like a double-A game out there. So the intensity is kind of off the pedal a little bit, and Kai hit a double the other way, and everyone just went straight to Pat and like, all right, how's he going to react? And he finally let out, like, all right, I'll clap, I'll clap. And he like, shot across the bow over to Mike Schilt's staff and everything. So it was a pretty cool moment. So, Dom, what's up with the pants, the see-through pants? Do we have them? Are our players complaining about them? What's the latest? It's all the same. Uh, it's really disappointing. I think from, from guys that I've talked to, and I don't want to name anybody and put them in a tough spot, but it's just the, the pants, it, it, it's been something that ever since Majestic left, I mean, this goes years back, Majestic, the original outfitter of Major League Baseball, when they stepped aside, everyone was always worried about the pants. And then Nike kind of got it together, and now that they've offloaded it to Fanatics, it's become a whole new storm. Uh, one player that I talked to, you know, he, he was saying, he's very particular about his pants. He's like, look, I'm just going to wear <laughs> last year's pants. I don't care if they find me, whatever. They know they messed up, which he's absolutely right. Now, to be fair, they've got six weeks to fix this, okay? This, this could be something we look back on at the end of the year. Like, hey, remember when everyone was freaking out about the pants? Uh, hopefully they fix it from what I gather. The other thing, though, too, is that what I gather from some – staff is that they knew this was going to happen. 
Like, oh. the people in the know knew this was going to happen. Why? And they still let it happen. So it's very disappointing, but they still got time to fix it. I, something's going to change, right? I mean, the contract's not going to get broken. But I remember when the NBA tried to go to this composite basketball, and that went over like a lead balloon. And I was like, no, 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 yeah. no. We're not doing that. And they got to go back to square one. So the players are happy. Players aren't happy. They want to be happy, but here, here's where the players' union and league continue to fight over everything. Now it's uniforms. So how much could our guys get fined if they say, I'm not wearing the see-through pants. I don't want to wear the pants. I'm not comfortable in these pants. I'm wearing last year's pants. You mentioned a fine. Do we have any idea how much they could pay because they don't want to wear the see-through think, pants? Yeah, I don't think it'll be a true per se fine. Now, there are uniform regulations like... You know, guys have to wear a certain kind of socks. Guys have to wear felt. You know, all, there's all this archaic stuff. But sure. when it comes to, you know, trying to figure out what the heck is going on with these pants, you know, a lot of folks instantly say, oh, just wear last year's stuff. It, it, it doesn't work like that, especially, let's say, for a guy like Reese Hoskins. He doesn't have a last year's version oh, of the yeah. Brewers pants. Good point. So he has to wear the see-through ones. And, you know, some of the younger guys don't know any better. The veterans are kind of sick of it. But uh, I think... You know, that's kind of been the headline of the week. Let's let cooler heads prevail, and hopefully everyone gets back to the drawing board on this. And what is with the Yankees? They look like they're having trouble running. They can't move. It's their uniforms. They're too tight. They've shrunk. They're running like penguins. Forget this game. Oh, my God. Mattingly just split his pants. Yeah, Seinfeld always way ahead of the curve on pretty much everything. All right, Dom, so the the week of action includes the Cubs this week. We'll talk more about that uh, a little later in the week. But how many players have told you they're in the best shape of their life? That seems to be the common phrase inside the clubhouse. It's always a common phrase. I will say the only guy, I mean, look, they're all professional athletes. They all can back that up. But I will say I want to single out one guy that absolutely is in the best, best shape of his life, and that's Andrew Monasterio. He put on 12 pounds of good muscle, eating six to seven times a day, egg whites and potatoes in case you're you know, in that New Year's resolution rut right now. Eat six to seven small meals of egg whites and potatoes, and you can look like Andrew Monasterio. But, you know, these days, I was talking about it with Bill Schroeder yesterday. You know, these days, guys show up to camp in shape. Back in the day when he played, it was you got in shape during camp. It's, it's just a new era. Everyone's ready to go. Good stuff, Dom. We will check in again all week long here. Dom Coturnio covering Brewers Spring Training. Look for his expanded coverage here online at WTMJ.com. All sorts of good stuff. Great content as well. Follow Dom on social media as well. Good stuff, Dom. We'll check in again tomorrow. Thanks, y'all. We'll see you. Yep, Enjoy. You bet. 1242 on WTMJ. Brewers baseball coming up at 2 o'clock. Spring training is always exciting because it feels like you're getting somewhere and you're getting closer to that you know, season of baseball beginning, but it still feels very far away. It still feels like that's why we need Dom, right? Well, it feels 2,000 miles away. It, 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 exactly. Yep, you just hit the nail on the head because that's what I was thinking because it is kind of far away. It's not here in Milwaukee yet, so until opening day when it's here in Milwaukee, then it really feels completely real for us. But a lot of people take trips to go and experience spring spring training. I feel like this is becoming more and more popular over it's the years. wonderful, wonderful trip. Very accessible. I recommend doing it in Arizona because you can get from... The furthest park to the furthest park in about 45 minutes. Do that in Florida, and you're driving like six hours. It's, it's kind of wild. Totally different. Highly recommend Arizona. 12.42 on WTMJ. Frank Mantic, Jessica Time with you on WTMJ, Wisconsin's Midday News for a Monday. I did not wear high heels today, did you? You wear heels? You did. I do. You did. Check these out. Can you see them over there? Uh, three mm. inches? I-, I was thinking maybe three and a half. Three and a half inches, okay. Well, for everyone, high heels is not a thing. They might not be for everyone. They may not be your favorite footwear, but a new study indicates there is a benefit to wearing three-inch heels. WTMJ's Eric Bilstad, the perfect person to tell the story. High heels, the shoe everyone loves, but no one wants to wear. Okay, Kristen, do you wear high heels? These days, rarely. Absolutely not. Do you wear high heels? Yes, wearing them now. I think they're like four-inch heels, three and a half at least. These are pretty tall ones. Stilettos? No. I purposefully wear heels when I'm on the TV set at Milwaukee PBS. I feel taller, I feel stronger, I feel prettier, I feel like I'm in command. But how do you feel physically? Afterwards, they hurt to your feet. However, I cannot 
deny the fact that they make your legs look awesome. I know the benefits of just the vanity point of it. That's probably how I got my husband, but now I'm married and now I can just wear flats. If I were to tell you that a study says that heels are good for you, how would you respond to that? <laughs> I think that sounds bogus. I'll need some proof on that. I would call shenanigans. I said in these shoes, no way, Jose. Not everyone is fly on wearing the high heels, but you may be surprised to learn that these shoes can actually be beneficial. I think most people probably would guess that wearing high heels often is a bad idea. Gretchen Reynolds writes the Your Move column for the Washington Post. She says there's a study out there from the University of Texas that indicates high heels can make you a more efficient walker. The scientists recruited a group of women and also men, and they put them in high-heeled Chuck Taylor sneakers that had a heel of about two and a half to three inches. So, right. so a decent heel. And they asked them to wear them for 14 weeks. And after the study, they discovered that the subjects began walking differently. They checked how much energy these people needed to walk on a treadmill. And it turned out that after they'd been wearing these high heels for several months, they could walk better. They could walk what scientists call more efficiently, meaning they used less energy to go at the same speed. And that means that you can then walk longer and faster using less energy. Walking in heels shortened calf muscles and stiffened the Achilles heel, prompting the changes in how these subjects actually strutted. So, more efficient and less energy. The study could do wonders for people with mobility issues. And that includes, say, older people who often find walking really hard. It, it requires a lot of effort. And if you can make it feel easier to them, they might be able to walk longer. They might be able to go farther with their dog, with their grandchildren. And the same for people who maybe are out of shape, who haven't done much walking lately. So the next time you squeeze into a pair of Aquazura heels, just know looking that good will be worth it in the long run. Well, I'm not changing my mind. It still hurts your feet. <laughs> I said in these shoes, I doubt you'd survive. Uh, I've never tried high heels. I have a size 13 shoe. I'm sure they make them that big, but you, 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 I'm not just going to find them laying around. You've never done that race where the men put on the high heels and then they run? See who's the fastest in the heels? No, thankfully. That doesn't sound comfortable at all. I'll tell you what. I wore heels for decades working all the time, and even even my first job when I was carrying the tripod and, and carrying the camera, too. And I always said they, they're really not uncomfortable, but for some reason the pair that i'm wearing and i've been wearing for the last two weeks here <laughs> are not very comfortable so i could easily toss these babies out and put on some flats but, but you keep going to them right i i do just because they're simple i like simple i mean it's just a it's a nude color it's a heel i'm five three on a good day if you stretch me out like stretch armstrong when sure. i wake up in the morning i'm like five two and three quarters so i i like a little height I mean, you're not challenged in that way like I am. Uh, no, and I have, uh, have 13 shoe. I'm, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd go online, Amazon. You could find anything. You can find just about anything. Willing to give it a shot for good posture and, uh, I don't know, is it good for your back? Uh, whatever. I don't think it's good. I understand okay. the good posture, but other than that, <laughs> eh, I'm not buying it. I'm good. 12.52 on WTMJ. Kristen Bry was featured in that story along with Jessica, told by Eric. She's in next, spanning the state, coming up after the 1 o'clock news.